0: Endless hustle is presented by Eat Clean Bro, a convenient solution to bring you the highest quality chef-prepared meals delivered right to your door. Eat Clean Bro is the contract-free solution for your meal prep needs, made with all natural ingredients and next-day delivery. Every meal feels like you have someone cooking for you right at home.
1: I fought a good fight. I finished
0: my football race, and after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players
2: were really supposed to shut up and dribble, but i'm glad i'm glad we do a little bit more than that eventually every ball would go flat but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline what will you do when the game is over
0: hello endless hustlers it's episode 95 of bro bibles endless hustle we are closing in on 100 i can't fucking believe it we're going to be at 100 episodes i'm so excited this is a banger of a good one by the way can't wait to share our two guests this week I'm your host, Arthur Cade, as always. Our guest this week, one of the funniest ladies in show business. She made her bones as a reality star on Bravo's Summer House. She then hosted Bravo's Chat Room. And now she is on tour with her House Broken tour. She's also become one of the funniest and just best follows on social media. It's Hannah Burner. My voice broke. Hannah, that's how excited I am to have you on the show. For those who haven't stuck along with endless hustle since the beginning. I mean, we are 95 episodes old. Hannah's now a friend of the show. This was her second appearance and was absolutely electric. Yo, this, this girl is just fucking funny. Loved you, Hannah. Thanks for a great time on the show. Make sure to check her out on the House Broken Tour. And our other guest today, Rob Deerdeck, the legend, the man, the myth, the legend, ridiculousness, Big and Rob, one of the most successful moguls in show business. I mean, I don't know what Rob isn't doing, but if he isn't, he's going to figure out how to do it. By the way, after you listen to this interview, you're going to have such maximum respect for Rob Deerdeck. Yo, one of the smartest people on the fucking planet. I dropped like three fuckings already at the top, and I'm usually pretty clean at the top and then drop them in the interviews. But like this tells you how excited I am to have these two guests. So let's kick this thing off. Our first guest, the one, the only Rob Deerdeck. All right, we got a great day on Endless Hustle, as I got a dude who I've been watching since I feel like I was like eight years old and I'm 43, but it feels like you've been on TV that long, Rob Deerdeck. Ridiculousness has been, I mean, going since like 1886. It's incredible.
2: Yeah, look, I don't, even when I, I still, I still have never really watched a full episode of television that I've been on, but I've been on uh, the network for like 15 years. You know what I mean?
0: You really have never watched a full episode?
2: Never never it's 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 really funny like even when i catch like i was trying to explain to my kids as they were getting older of like this is what this is what it looks like when i go shoot tv this is what it looks like on tv and i'm watching ridiculousness for a few minutes and i'm like ah it's funny it's funny look at this ah that was funny that was oh, a was funny one. you know what i mean like i really i don't know there's something about it where i it's almost like this weird side job that uh, occurs in my life but Uh, I don't, I just shoot it. I don't really watch it or think about it, you know. Dude, to look at your life and to see your journey and where you started
0: to this mogul status that you've achieved is absolutely mind-blowing. I was talking at dinner to somebody about you last night. I'm like, you think about Rob was like the first that kind of just understood branding, understood merchandising, understood, hey, how do I turn this into reality TV and television? Especially from the genre you came from. When did you start visualizing this whole thing? When did you realize, all right, I'm more than just a skateboarder and an X Games type guy?
2: Well, you know, I think, you know, I got the circumstance led to the opportunity of television, right? Like I originally wrote the skit of me and Big Black for a skate video of like, I'm gonna bring a security guard to deal with security guards. That became... Uh, recognized by Jeff Tremaine, who did Jackass, who was like, you know, you guys should do a television show. Then it's like, what? What does that even mean? I'm like so busy with my other stuff. And as we learned and discovered television, I really instantly understood the reach and the power of television as a platform. So I immediately began to like create deals and opportunities and businesses around the amplification of that platform and then transition that into Fantasy Factory where I own the integration rights. The entire concept was around all my different companies uh, and then integrated and built all these different businesses through that. Uh, and, And to me, I just always have had a mind of like looking at how things all connect and where are there opportunities in those connections. And I think television is just sort of one of those that I fell into and then really maximized, you know?
0: Yeah. You simplified something that's incredibly complex. And I know you also talk about on your podcast, which by the way, I love, I listen to all the time. I just love you dissecting all these entrepreneurial just leaders and thinkers I fucking love it, dude. But I want to start, you know, the beginning. You're, you're successful in your genre. It's an emerging genre. We're seeing people having success, but not really being able to break into the mainstream. Then you get the television stuff. You and Big Black obviously takes off. You become this dynamic duo. People fall in love with you. At that, at what point do you start kind of saying, all right, I can really branch off and start hitting all these different industries and creating all these different businesses?
2: But, you know, I, I, it was an evolution, right. And, it, and, and even though, you know, I, I was building all types of businesses built, you know, I, I financed and wrote feature films, had cartoons on Nickelodeon, like, you know, went to do fantasy factory, created ridiculousness, had multiple brands, all this stuff. But I, I was still a high school dropout that learned business through a marketing and brand lens. Right. And, and it really wasn't till Uh, I got much older and I began to like uh, question why some things really worked and some things didn't. And then when I decided to look at business holistically and start to look through the lens of, of ROE, return on everything, return on investment, return on energy, return on time. All of these different aspects and 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 really understand that you're you're really trying to get an output and create value. I think that's really when everything changed for me. And where I stopped just like, you know, being like the next shiny object, and I began to only strategically build things that could create immense value and all told a similar story as it relates to my passion, which is creating, right? And creating stuff that is successful and quantifi- quantifiably successful is really what I set off on. And that that put it. that's what allowed me to be able to create so many businesses in such a short period once I discovered that.
0: How do you manage it all, man? I mean, I have a business myself and managing one business is a pain in the ass. I mean, it really is all encompassing, time consuming. It's all you think about, it's all you breathe. How are you able to, to branch off
2: and multitask with all of these businesses? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I am, I have, I am probably the most optimized human being you've ever smoke, spoke to, right? And, and I'll tell you why, right? First of all, I look at the world through my total capacity, right? So I've broken my life down into three parts. I spend 30% with my family and wife, I spend 30% working, I spend 30% sleeping, I spend 10% on my health, right, uncompromised. And so I design balance, right? So I live this completely balanced life by design, right? And so I have 30% to, to do all of this stuff, right? And this is podcast, foundation, machinist, Derek Machine, our 16 companies, I shoot 250 episodes of television a year. I do this living completely balanced because you have two choices at capacity. You either automate or you hire somebody to to do it for you, right? And so when you can master your capacity, which in turn you're mastering your time, you're mastering your energy, but ultimately when you look at the world, through like, how am I going to drive this to automation? Because after automation comes optimization and it gets easier and easier and easier with less effort, thus taking less energy of giving you more capacity, right? So I essentially have done that in every single aspect of my life. All, all I call it a machine mindset, right? Where I live... Uh, where everything is this harmonious flowing system that I have optimal energy all the time to drive, only it's so organized. And, you know, another thing that I do is I track my time and tag it and they go into these beautiful dashboards. So I know it's specific. I'm not guessing when I say those percentages, they're almost exact. Right. And the the most fascinating part of it is I shoot 250 episodes of television a year. It's 4% of my time. And I've optimized it to such a level that it, it, I almost don't even feel it in, in my entire ethos and existence on something when I was shooting, you know, 30 or 40 episodes a year, it was breaking my soul 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like now I've through that lens, I've been able to have such a profound level of success, but in this peaceful, happy, harmonious, like joyous way of achievement, you know,
0: Dude, I think I just went into Zen listening to you. That was unbelievable. (laughs) Not too bad for a high school dropout. Not too bad at all. It actually got me thinking because there's such a big conversation right now. There was just a great article. I think it was in the New York Times about how kids are going to college. Then they're going for secondary degrees and they come out of school and they're half a million dollars in debt. And it fucking sucks out there. You're never paying the debt off. And people are like, what the hell did I just do this for? Then you look at someone like you who's become godly rich and you've done it as a high school dropout. So there's this conversation now around, is school even really that important? What are your thoughts around the whole subject? And if, if your kids came to you and they were like,
2: dad, do I really need to go to college? What are your thoughts around that? Look, I don't think it's so by, bi- it's not so black and white, right? I, I think it's less about, we're not teaching kids to... Um, basically learn to evolve, right? That that you don't go through life like this. You go through life like this. You expand into life. And almost everything you'll ever choose to do in your life, every goal you ever set, any job you ever want to do, any relationship, anything, starts with a discovery moment. You're figuring out, do I want to do this? Then you, then you go through a diligence phase. You kind of figure out like, oh, I think I like this. Then you Decide to do it. Then you start planning it. Then you go do it. And it's hard and chaotic and you want to quit and you don't know, but you will make it past a threshold in business. They call it product market fit Uh, in in life. They call it experience. Right. But you eventually create a threshold where you kind of now begin to expand into it. And it's effortless. Right. We don't we teach these sort of blocks like you got to do this. you got to do this if you want to live the life rather than teaching that you grow. So I say that in the sense that some people need it. Some people don't. I think if you know specifically what you want to achieve and evolve and grow into um, and you go to school to learn that, get a more depth of knowledge that's going to lead to the workplace, that where you begin to start, that you have a path that you can grow into. I think that's when college is uh, extraordinarily beneficial, right? Like it's this idea that you take on all this debt, finish it and have no idea what you want to do. Right. Then you're like you, you you're caught in all these other things like of that, that you think you're going to satisfy you. And, you know, something that I instill in my kids today, my my son was going to the park and and he said, all right, dad, he's like, you know, uh, have a good meeting. Right. And I said, son, you want to know what this meeting's going to be like? And he's like, he's like, like playing. I'm like, no, son, it's just like you going to the park, man. I'm about to have so much fun. All I want to instill in their brains is that unlike me, I grew up in a world where what do you do? You you work, you grind it out all weekend, you have a job so you can go hang with your buddies and do it maybe in the evening. You know, it's like versus like like work and life being this extraordinary thing you get to do and and doing it all day gives you energy and joy is even what I'm trying to instill in my children, you know. So it's easy now.
0: You're essentially a mogul status. You've got a gajillion successful businesses. You can walk in a room, pitch, and people are going to take you seriously. Turn back the clock. You're just starting out. You're this skateboarder dude. You're on TV or on reality TV, which obviously had a certain stigma around it for a long time. And it actually still does. When you would walk in those rooms and make those same pitches, was it difficult? Would people not take you seriously? Were there instances where people would be like, Who gives a shit about this guy? He's some reality show dude.
2: Yeah, look, I I think like there's certainly a lot of instances of those, you know, in, in, um, in, and I, I, but I, I, I still look at them, you know, from a 30,000 square foot per 30,000 foot perspective, right? Where I can see where what I was saying was not making as much sense as it made to me, right? Like I was like, I, you know, cause I'm like, I'll get in front of anybody and pitch a vision. And like, when they don't like, like connect with the vision I'm like, they don't get it, right? Like it's like, versus like, you know, I'm in a lot of times I think, I think even to this day, I think maybe even for you um, I don't think people quite understand the depth of how I actually operate and how much more methodic um, and strategic that my existence actually is. Um, and and to me, a lot of times when you would were what you bring is value and as ideas and how you talk um, owns the room and lives the room, right? Like, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'd get a little too cocky, feel my vision a little bit too hard. And I would, I would see my vision one dimensional, right? Because I used to see things so one dimensional, like idea, here's how we're going to get there, right? Versus like, okay, the idea, What's the economics behind this idea? Who's this idea for? How does this idea create value? Like seeing seeing the things that I wanted to do um, sort of one dimensional is what I evolved out of to where now it's, you know, it doesn't matter what room you're in, you're in there uh, with purpose and clarity and ultimately value between two people. you know I want to
0: talk to you about Big Black. I love that guy. I absolutely love that guy growing up. he He was like my favorite TV person. Can you remember the first time you met him? And I just want to talk about what he meant to you over the years and what that relationship was like.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you got to understand, we, you know, had wrote the idea for... Um, Uh, the DC video this this how funny it would be if it's like I we did a skit where I bring a security guard to deal with security guards and I remember the first time we called him that this we called a security agency and like they were like oh we got the perfect guy and like and you know it was like instantaneously uh it was like what's up son like it was like it was like almost robin big like instantaneously you know And, and I think like for both of us like we got such a kick out of it because we had we we had such an adventure before we ever made it to television right where we were doing so many like insane like fun over the top adventures of just being like like the little like white guy who must be famous right and then his big security homie like it was just this dynamic that confused everybody um that we were able to have this this amazing fun time with in real life before it was like you know Ruben Fleischer and Jeff Tremaine were like man you guys should do a television show you guys are great together you know what I mean like and for both of us it was like wow god what does that mean right so um you know and and I think the you know, it's, it's, it's tragic. And it's like, you know, I even to this day, all these years later, I still feel like he's just in Texas. And I haven't spoke with him in a while. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's the idea that like, you know, it, it is a, an exchange of trying to make each other laugh in a 10 minute phone call. It's just, a, it's this weird back and forth of just, it's just driving each other to laugh till one finally breaks. And like, I'll get, you know, like with the, with the one zinger that did it, you know, so super grateful and thankful, you know, cause think about it, it goes way beyond a friendship and a brotherhood and, and an experience, but he, he's instrumental in, basically changing the trajectory of my existence you know what i mean it's it's just such a bigger like like cornerstone to to the evolution and opportunity in the life that i live today that just wouldn't even be possible without him you
0: know he was such a likable guy i mean there was something we all had and it didn't have to be a big black in terms of what he looked like or what but we all have that guy in our life it's like the brother from another mother you know what i'm saying yeah. and it's like yeah you seeing you guys, that was the dynamic. I think we, as boys growing up, we all connected with that dynamic.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It was, it was, yeah, it was, we got into some really, really funny, funny, funny situations, man. And, and I always, you know, I always loved that he was, what made it so great is I would come up with these just wacky, crazy over the top idea. And he was always down to like, all right, let's, let's do it. Right. Like, and that really, you know, is, is his willingness to like follow me into like no man's land, getting mini horses and you know, going to shamans and all this crazy stuff really like pushed it to uh another level?
0: How does ridiculousness happen? Where does it begin? Is it a pitch you make? Is it MTV's developing and they're like, Rob's the perfect dude? How does it all come about?
2: I mean, look, I read an article with Vinnie DeBona. And the Hollywood Reporter about the $500 million syndication business of America's Funniest Home Videos. At the time we were in season uh, three of Robin Big, and I just I could not, I loved what had just happened to me from television, right? Of like, man, look at this, like level this has launched me to, but I shoot this in my house. Like, this is like, I got to Like I shoot all day. This is the most like grueling, like, I don't want to live like this, but I love TV. And I thought to myself, I need to do a studio show. Like then, like, it's not at my house. It's, it's not like invasive it's organized and structured to where it's not a whole thing the whole time and so you know i really uh, put it together from at the time we called it money shot and uh, because we were going to emulate kind of paying people for their best videos at the time but it was fundamentally i took america's funniest home videos episode i stripped out all the bad videos and there's left with about five minutes and then i segmented them up And when I would take it into pitch, I brought in an Xbox and I was fast forwarding and stopping and pointing things out and doing it almost like identical to what it is in the show today. Like identical and pitched it as like, hey, this is America's Funniest Home Videos, like 75% of it's not even funny. Here's the best part of it. And this is what it feels like if you packaged them up and did it and nobody was interested in it. Other than MTV. I was like any like, you know, I thought for sure, like, you know, Fox, this is going to be so good to take on ABC, you know, like I thought it was really and um, and then even 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 launching it and what it was like. Never in my wildest years, I've shot 819 episodes, never, never even even look at you got to get to 100 episodes to syndicate, right? Like, and even though syndication is is not something cable shows do. No, never in my life would I have thought that like, Hey, 10 years from now, you're going to be shooting 250 a year, six a day. And it's going to somehow have this, like, it will take on like four lives. It will dip, be like, it's going to go away, come back for a little bit dip. And then all of a sudden explode again in season like 24, right? Like it's the most like magical yet bizarre journey you could ever imagine. And by the way, now you have spinoffs.
0: Like I had Kel Mitchell on here with Deliciousness. You got another spinoff I just read coming out. I'm like, this fucker's building a whole franchise out of this. This It's incredible.
2: Yeah, no, it, it, it's remo- adorableness, snooky, all these like, yeah, like messiness, like, yeah, we, we've been shooting all these different ones. And again, I, I give total and absolute credit to Chris McCarthy, uh, who runs the network. It's his vision. You know what I mean? He's like, let's do all these messes. You know, we were referring to it as like nest and test it. You know what I mean? Like, let's just try another one and do it uh, in and, and see what it is, you know, because ultimately, um as effortless as, as it is for me. And it's this beautiful, you know, uh, sort of improv comedy that I get to do. You know, I, it takes very little preparation. I've automated the system of how they even build shows and deliver them to me. And, you know, I freestyle the show straight through. It takes about 30, 30 minutes. And, you know, I get there at nine dressed and I knock out uh, six episodes straight and go you know, straight home, try to be home by, you know, three, three 30 And, and the beauty of that is, is then I space it out. I shoot every, you know, two to three days and, uh, shoot uh, three or four times, then take a few weeks off. So it also has this beautiful cadence and easy to manage from a pace perspective. Uh, but, uh, can't do it forever. Yeah, man. Look, when I I'm, I'm 47 years old and I was like, when I was 38. I'm like, I cannot be on MTV at 40. This is getting ridiculous. You know what I mean? Then when I sort of repositioned what the opportunity was for me as it was related to uh, building a business to be acquired through my system, I was like, well, my greatest advantage in business is I already have a television show. So when I shifted the, the sort of a lens of what television meant to me is like, oh, it's an opportunity to be a big business and, and sell a company then it, it it changed my positioning of television to me and then all of that together made it just explode even more, sold the company. Now I'm going to earn out so it's like okay, I'm, I'm gonna do as many as I can to, because I you know basically get to double dip. I get paid as an earnout from an acquisition and as talent. Um, but boy oh boy, I, I gotta believe I gotta be off there by 50. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, meanwhile, like, we'll, be chatting, we'll
0: be chatting in 13 in, in thirteen years. You're going to be like, oh man, remember when I told you I'd be off by 50? Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, 60. No. I, I doubt it, but maybe, but maybe. But listen, if they, you know, Jalen Rose had a great line. He goes, just keep cashing them checks. Just keep cashing yeah. them checks. He says that to all the journeyman NBA players. What I wanted to ask you was, you start making real money. What, in your mind, what was that moment? When do you say, oh shit, I'm making real money now. Was it, what was that
2: crossover point for you? You know, I, I think I've probably went through a couple of these cycles, you know what I mean? And, and I think it was, you know, it started first when I got a signature shoe as a professional skateboarder, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden you're making, you know, from 50, 60,000 to two or 300,000, right? So that's this extraordinary leap. You know, I remember, um, you know, one year I made 1.7 million and I'm like, This is it. I've peaked. Right. Then, then, you know, years later then I made 3 million, then I'm like, good. What? Like, this is, this is like, I am for sure peaked. You know what I mean? And and then I began to release that paradigm, you know, And, and even one year I made like 40, $43 million. And I was like, I was like, man, this is remarkable. But if you reflect on your journey, you when you made 3 million, you're like, there is no way. So at this I'm not even going to say there's no way. What I started doing was writing down 114 135 325 I started writing down these extraordinary numbers and put them on a vision board of like I'm not even going to put a paradigm on a number I'm no longer going to be in awe of any number that I make I wanted to be part of the process and journey of like here are the numbers over the long haul and and for me um in the early years, I just didn't understand money. I didn't understand how to create value. I didn't know what to do with money. I didn't know how to invest money. I just gave it to a bunch of financial advisors. I I had no idea what my expenses were, what my company was called. I would just like eyeball it and just keep making money. And now I have all of these beautiful financial systems. Every dollar I have is accounted for. It's all against like an ROI goal, an IRR goal, and, and looking at it all grow and in, in, in having a system in place that, that balances out your really aggressive venture investments with really secure real estate investments and seeing your, your net worth and, and overall value grow with purpose. Uh, while still keeping your living expenses uh managed and minimal you know what i mean to to continue to feed the machine uh is it's an extraordinary um extraordinary feeling and and, and i'll tell you what you you go through a transition you transition at a certain stage from self-preservation to generational preservation right where you just start seeing like what are the tools and and the things that I can do to impact DeerDex for the next 500 years, you know, it's, it's an extraordinary uh, path from, you know, making a few hundred that going to look, going to the bank with a $60,000 shoe royalty check, like want to make sure everybody sees you. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before 60 G's about to go buy myself a brand new Audi, you know, so it's been quite remarkable to say the least.
0: I had Jagger Eaton on earlier this week. He's the hot new, just won the bronze medal. He's the face of American skateboarding. Sweet kid. What absolutely astounded me was how corporate ready he is already. The thinking behind the brand building, running a business, the people he employs. When you look back in your early 20s, were you like that? And when you see these kids, these young athletes now, they're fully formed brands by the time they're late teens, early twenties. Did you ever see this
2: kind of evolution happening? Wait, look. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was someone who like used to say I'm a business. It was really weird when I was like 17. Like I would track all my finances and be like, I, I didn't. It wasn't I'm, a, I'm the brand because that didn't exist back then. But I always had that sort of lens. Of like wanting to create that, but it was it was also how I was raised, right? Since I was raised, I like to say I was raised by entrepreneur wolves because all the people that were my peers all started companies, different skate companies around me. So I just was like, okay, obviously, I gotta start a skate company as soon as I can. That first thing I did when I moved to California, and it's like you know, um, the evolution is is people are learning that they're a brand, it became a thing, and I think Jagger's just Jagger's a special case, right? Because He's, you know, somebody that was super talented and recognized at like 12. You know, keep in mind that like, you know, I had him in my Wild Grinders cartoon. I had him on Fantasy Factory. I had him as like, like hosting ridiculousness, like to be like, you're going to take this over, you know, and and to me and, and what people don't realize like about this young man's journey uh, to your show and that bronze medal is at the World Championships at 4, 5.30 a.m. in a hotel in Napa, California. I was watching him do his final trick of the contest where he had to do one of the hardest tricks of his entire life in that championship in order to qualify to make it to the Olympics. So forget about the fact that he was able to like go there, perform, and get the bronze, and be this darling that he is here. It was that moment in France where he had his entire Olympic dreams came down to a single trick and he did the hardest trick of his life when he had to, to win his way to the Olympics. And I called him immediately the next day and was like, man, like unbelievable man like you really really it is the most clutch sports moment I have ever seen in my life and it went on deaf ears to the skate community it went on deaf ears to like any sports anything but I knew mainly because I invented the format for one but, but primarily because I understand the pressure and I understand his ability and, and knew that he had pushed it to a level that he had never been before to even be able to now go and experience what would go on to be this incredible experience. And for him to go and meddle, I just, it, I could just cry. I could cry.
0: So one of the main reasons, Rob, I started this show was to talk to successful people about the habits, the mentality that helped them build their success. For you, what are the habits and the mentality that you incorporate into
2: your daily life to continue to elevate? I mean, look, I'm, I've gamified uh, discipline, right? I've gamified discipline, and I use qualitative data uh, to essentially validate my discipline, right? And and for me. Uh, I get up before five every day. I brain train every day. I meditate every day. I'm in the gym every day. I eat clean every day. I don't drink, right? And if I if I miss any of those, I track it. So now I have numbers, right? So I have a percentage of those each month that my goals are set against that gamify my discipline. So I know if I have a glass of wine, like oh man, I'm, I'm heading down into the 80s. Like I can't drink the rest of the month. You know, it's like I've gamified like... Like I miss a day of meditation. Like I, you know, I'd be like, "What?" Well, this is seven days a week to get these numbers. Right. And, and so to me, by gamifying it, it it's, it's changed the lens of what seven days a week of these things. Now, those core things, they push up and every single day since 2015 i will ask myself how i feel about my life work and health 0 to 10 right because it's this qualitative feeling like that you can't put a metric to so you have to use qualitative data how do you feel in order over time to get some sort of quantitative thing that you can change and for me by doing a combination of both of those i know that the Uh, the higher my percentages and that quantifiable gamified discipline that I'm always going to have higher qualitative numbers about how motivated I am, how well I sleep, how I feel about my life, work and health, which allows me um, to continue to not only like find more energy to be more disciplined, but have clear results that the quality of my life is in fact being consistent and at a high level, and it's only getting higher over time, right? Look, it's, it's expert level human optimization. Uh, it, I, every time I, somebody, always, someone always says to me, like, hey, do you know anybody else that uses your system? I'm like, I don't. Even everybody closest to me, that's just like too much for them. It, but it's like anything else, you have to grow into it if you ultimately want to get to this level. My final
0: question. And I'm going to end it with a compliment and a question. You're so incredibly impressive. And again, thinking about a guy who didn't achieve higher level education, to hear you just expound these types of thoughts, theories, how you see the world is incredible. Who was the person that you've either interviewed or met, dealt with, whatever, who was the most impressive in terms of their thinking to you?
2: You know, I, you know, I'm, I'm. I've met a lot of different people. Um, uh, but but someone that I look up to that I haven't necessarily met, but but their way of thinking and philosophy and transition into a personal brand at a at, on a level you wouldn't expect them to transition to on a personal brand is Ray Dalio, right? Like w- when I think about what I want to do as it relates to making an impact, uh, on mindset, uh, from seemingly a TV guy, entrepreneur to like, wow, this guy has a philosophy. Uh, it's what Ray Dalio and principles is, um, where I just think like before he was just, you know, one of the wealthiest guys in the world that managed the most money in the world. Like it had no bearing on my existence, but after principles, it's like, this is like who I want to become. Right. Like I know, um, that this systematic approach to thinking and, and path to automation and this idea that you're constantly evolving and expanding into uh, any, anything you want to create that ultimately your mind can conceive uh, it is really why I, I put him on the pedestal almost above everybody.
0: Bro, this was awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Rob. I knew you were an impressive dude, but just to hear you again, share this off the cuff and yeah, it's, it's easy to understand why you've achieved the success you've achieved. I appreciate it. But look, at the
2: end of the day, I'm just happy. You know what I mean? I just, I live an amazing life. I get up every day. I just want to live my life. That's the actual joy because really that's everybody's why everybody's goal just to be happy.
0: Perfect ending spot. Rob, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for an awesome chat. Right. Okay. Be good. All right, folks, that was Rob Deerdeck. Usually I'm like plugging whatever they're plugging. I'm not even sure what Rob was plugging. He's got like 88 projects. So just go to like Rob's social and follow the 800th episode of Ridiculousness. I'm not even kidding. He might be at 800 episodes at this point. Ridiculousness, obviously, all the different businesses he's focusing on. Deerdeck's the man. And I was so blown away. You guys could probably hear it in the interview. I was just so blown away by how brilliant this dude is. I mean, what a genius. Our next guest is no slouch herself. Absolutely brilliant comedic mind, electric on the mic, and is quickly becoming one of the just fastest rising stars in stand Summer House was a monster, she just exited. Chat room was a monster, she just exited. How many people leave Bravo and decide to kind of go at it on their own this is what Hannah Berner did, and we're talking all about it. She's also good friends with Alex Cooper from Call Her Daddy. We're talking all about that. We're just talking everything. I love, I love this lady. This is someone who, like, outside of just having her on the show, I could see myself being friends with. So I think you guys are going to love this interview as much as I loved it. Here she is, Hannah Burner. All right, it's gonna be a great day on the endless hustle. As dare I say it, friend of the show. I can officially call you friend of the show, Hannah Berner, because you're now a repeat customer. I'm so happy to have you back. And man, your life has changed a bit since the last time I saw you.
1: I just I like to make sure things are never boring, you know. (laughs) But I'm it's an honor and privilege to be back. Arthur, thank you for having me. And we have updates.
0: We do. First of all, you're like Miss Stand-up Comedian over there now, going on tour. Congrats, housebroken tour. So thank you. How cool is it to be out on stage performing for people and uh building this stand-up comedy aura?
1: I mean, I feel like I hate saying it, but being in the flesh has been so healing since being stuck inside just on our screens for so long. And I think, you know you know how it is, like dealing with the media, dealing with reality TV, dealing with podcasting, like it's, it's a lot. And for me to be like, okay, let's take a break. And let's just like go on stage and talk to people and say our thoughts unedited, unfiltered has been like what I needed right now.
0: You've left Bravo. So I got to talk to you all about that. So first of all, most people fighting to get on Bravo, you went the opposite direction. So Walk me through that decision-making process. How did that all come about for you?
1: Well, I do think that Summer House is a show that um, when I was 26 and single and liked to party, it was perfect, it was ideal. And I do think a huge part of it was, I did have a tough season and then I also got engaged off camera and it kind of set the mood for maybe this isn't a good fit anymore where you know i'm with a 45 year old sober comedian <laughs> and um it's i don't think it's the direction that the show wanted to go in necessarily and i think that um it's like it's a transition that and in the entertainment world like reality tv is like this drug like you immediately get all these followers like you literally don't do i peed in a hot tub and i got like tons of followers and you get Paid and you feel yourself. And then it's like, but it wasn't ultimately like a long term plan for me. And um, it gave me a great platform. But now I'm like, oh shit, I, I want to find something that I could do for a long time that I love to do. And comedy's always been like yelling my name. And I was doing stand up right before the, I had a stand up tour ready to go right before quarantine hit. And then this summer, I'm like, wait, my summer's open things are opening up. I'm like, let's travel. So that's what I'm doing.
0: I can't imagine how hard a decision that was because like you said it perfectly, it's a drug. Everybody fights to be on Bravo. You're never going to win an Oscar on Bravo. But that being said, you're right. There's a popularity. There's a cool factor. There's uh, people stopping me at the supermarket and being like, oh my God, I love you on whatever show you're hosting at that
2: Mm -hmm. moment.
1: No, they treat you like the Beatles. I was joking. I was, I was joking with Michael Rappaport on his pod. Cause he was like, I could see John Travolta walking down Madison Avenue in the seventies. But if I saw Sonia Morgan on the Upper East Side right now, I'd lose my mind. Who gives a fuck about John Travolta? But like, there is this weird connection that people get to you as a reality TV person. Um, but I saw, like, I saw the great in reality TV and I saw the ugly and I was kind of like, okay, I saw it all. And at this point, time in my life, for the health of my relationship and my mental state, I think comedy is my next step.
0: Yo, that's such a gangster decision-making product. <laughs> like, talk about like- mature. It wasn't that
1: smooth. It wasn't that smoother, easier gangster, but I appreciate
0: it. <laughs> it's like went from peeing in a. It tub- It was chaotic. It was chaotic.
1: I have cha- chaotic energy. That's what I'll say. Because again, yeah, it wasn't like a smooth, easy thing that I went through and it's, and every now and then, you know, I'll have FOMO or like, I miss my friends on the show, but- I also know that like sometimes for you to get to the next stage that you want, like you have to close some doors for other ones to open.
0: Were people around you, were they like, Hannah, you're an absolute effing idiot or were people supportive? Like what was was the reaction in and around your circle of friends and
1: family? Well, to be honest, my parents were always very supportive of reality TV, but when I told them I'm not going back, they were like, oh, thank God. like they were just like for the family's sake thank you like they just worried about me a lot because it's it's not a um it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster and you're you're very vulnerable putting your life out there and I think reality tv like first season people get to know you second season you know things get a little deeper and then my third season it was like I was locked in a house and the drama was just like insanity non-stop and um I do think that once you get in a relationship you have to make different decisions about your life once you have someone you really really care about.
0: By the way, you also have other shit going on which is huge because you have two super successful podcasts which generate huge huge fucking numbers. You've obviously got the stand up tour and I've been following it on Instagram I'm like people are actually showing up to see Hannah. This is fucking great.
1: So, so I get I get two reactions. I either get, "Hey, we we're so excited to see you. Like we didn't have high expectations." you're really funny or people and i want to be like stand up so i did before summer house like i'm actually not good at reality tv <laughs> like i'm not good at it but or, or I'll, I'll just have people who have been following me beforehand because people knew me from like my memes and tweets people forget about that like i was i was a comedy video producer before i started summer house
0: by the way this is a whole thing i wanted to explore with you that we didn't explore in our last chat your Instagram is freaking genius. Like you had that whole Jamie Lynn Spears thing, and I was dying. I think I played that thing like eighty-five times, or was it? Or was it Britney Spears' dad? Either way, oh, it was yeah. like you. Literally, no. It was, I forget who it was. It was one of the Spears, and it's like my yeah, own reaction ja- when I see a Spears. Jamie
1: Spears. Yeah, I be, there was this thing on TikTok that was um, sorry, no, <laughs> um, on TikTok that was like if I saw a guy disrespect my friend and it's like a girl like don't touch her and i was like oh my god i have to do britney's dad and it went viral on tiktok my like i get joy from like thinking of something that people are gonna just be like i need to share this to my friend i need to so i just get this high and it, it started going and then i did another one like when i see the judge a Britney Spears this trial like get away from her <laughs> but um, I try to find the funny and the like scary painful situations going on and I think what was hard for me is you know reality tv is very drama based or when it's funny it's like people are kind of making fun of you and there's not a lot of room for like self-aware humor in it and the reality tv fans also are not looking necessarily for humor all the time like they want to see the drama so I'd go on podcasts I'd like do all this stuff trying to make people laugh and reality TV people were like, where's the drama in this? What is she trying to say? Who's she trying to be mean to? Where's the shade? And like, I was like, you know, I'm done with the shade. Like, fuck the shade. I want to be in the light and I want to be on the stand-up light. That's what I want.
0: <laughs> by, by the way, speaking of being domesticated, my eagle eyes, I think, spot a target bag over your right shoulder. Is that really? Like oh, that
1: is a target bag. I'm not domesticated. That stuff, that bag's been out on the table for a month because it's a clothes we're donating that we haven't gotten our shit together to donate so let's not judge but we do have a target across the street
0: <laughs> I was literally about to be like you've taken the full jump in, into being housebroken like it's like it's mom. over
1: no I'm so not well the housebroken tour is interesting it took me a while to think of a name and then I was like okay I definitely have to get housebroken because as a domesticated person because I'm with a guy turns out I haven't and we're working on that. Um, he needs to step it up. And then House Broken, like we're finally out of the house, out quarantine. And then kind of like House Broken, like Summer House, like I'm a little heartbroken. It was like a relationship I had for so long that wasn't appropriate for me anymore. By <laughs> so the like-
0: way, only producers can talk to each other because I can literally see your producer mind operating you're like here's the three ways this is all gonna make sense you know like the average human being can't conceptualize this but like I'm listening to you I'm like that's fucking genius Hannah it's really fucking genius oh
1: I mean I do have this like I, I did marketing and sales before I did stand up and before I did tv stuff and I I still have that brain of like how how do I sell people to like want to be involved or want to watch me and then like how do I market it in the way that people understand what I'm trying to portray and like I love that shit it just was boring when you're doing an office it's way more fun to do it just like fucking around on your own to like get people to see you watch watch you tell jokes about your life
0: so I was thinking about you because I don't know well you obviously are a former college athlete and actually you probably would have made a killing with NIL obviously the whole NIL thing is like now like quarterbacks from Ohio state are going to make like a million bucks this year. It's like fucking amazing. I'm like, Holy shit. I wish I was an elite athlete, but you have this like monster social media following and it's a whole different type of NIL. It's the influencer NIL. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How do you leverage that? And you don't have to like discuss what you're getting paid proposed or whatever. Like, I don't need the IRS showing up to your house, but (laughs) how I'm like, is
1: the police on
0: this? (laughs) How do you leverage that? And how, like, For people who want to be influencers, how do you, how are you able to create a whole business out of that? Like, how does that all work?
1: I actually love talking about this because people will like hate on people who do ads, but it's like, oh, like we liked your old content when it's like my old content. If I could have done ads, I would have done ads. I just, no one was interested enough. But what happened is I, when you have a really authentic voice, it means you're going to have a certain type of people like you. And like, I have a demo, I have a demographic and that's like some Gen X, some like boomer, but like millennial women. And a lot of brands are like, okay, we need to target millennial w- women. How do we do it? And like my name comes up because it's like, okay, we could get through Hannah's podcast, through Hannah's Instagram. I have a very close following of like these, every like my followers, I feel like I'm talking to myself a lot of the time. Like they're funnier than me. They're smarter than me. They're just badass women, and not to generalize all of them as the same person, but like from a brand perspective, when a brand wants to sell to a demographic, they will find the influencers that have that demographic. And then, if people are like, oh, "Influencers, I don't want to sell," I want to hustle and I want to do shit. And people are like, "I am very picky about the brands I work with. If I don't use it, I don't sell it." I'm gonna tell you right now. If I think my followers will love it. I will share it with them. Like, do do I drink coffee? No. But if someone's like, this is the coolest millennial up and coming coffee company, they're whatever vegan and they, they're like organic shit that they would have. like, who knows? I will do it. And I will tell people. And I think because I'm honest and open and I like finding humor in my advertisements, it's like, I love branded content when i worked at betches my job was to accompany want to work with us and i pitch a funny video that i could put them in and then i realized i could do that for myself so some people comment and they just like to see how i make the branded video video funny i did a whole like thing for um vagisil and i did (laughs) i did a whole smelly vag smelly vag what are they putting on you or something instead of smelly cat from friends and like i just have so much and i pitched it to them and they were like that's insane but perfect for what we wanted from your page so i just find different i did a whole photo shoot just like legs spread open and cow pants for like a um (laughs) some birth control company like i just it's part of my job and i really like it i don't do it like i just need to throw up an ad i like to show how it's a part of me and make people interested and entertained. And if they want a free vibrator or they want, you know, the coolest new hair shampoo that I like, then let's go.
0: (laughs) How many companies do you have hit you up a day? Is it you going out and finding them? Is it like you get 10 emails a day and you're kind of picking through who makes sense? How does it all work for you?
1: So I thrive in being creative and logistics stress me out and all that stuff stresses me out. So I'm at the point in my career that I have a manager where they get all my incoming requests and then they vet it and then they say, okay, Hannah, we have this or this or this of brands that want to work with you. But I do think um, I, I've i been working with so many sex toy companies because I think a lot of like influencers are like, oh, that's like really off brand for me or whatever. And I'm talking about my, my vagina anyway, every day. So I feel like I found this kind of niche of sex toys of like female empowerment to talk about like female pleasure and like the orgasm gap and like I'm learning a lot about women and what they need in general based on what brands are trying to fill for them no pun intended so (laughs) I I definitely like I will I did oh also what's cool is like Amy Schumer did this whole thing with Tampax and Whitney Cummings is doing this whole thing with Anovera this birth control and those are their like macro influencers and then they'll get smaller influencers and they'll hit up like a smaller comedian such as me who who might have like a similar demographic so like I aspire to like like Jennifer Aniston you think she drinks smart water every day no she drinks from the tap sometimes so like people people have been assholes to me like calling me a sellout or something for doing ads and I'm like you're jealous you're jealous I'll pay- I'll get your coffee for you though but keep your jealousy to yourself
0: you're like this target shit behind me is expensive I gotta pay for it somehow <laughs>
1: But also it's like, I will do the sex toys. I will do them all day because it's important. Someone needs to do it. And if people aren't orgasming, then they're gonna turn into trolls online. That's just a fact, that's science.
0: Speaking of sex, your girl, (laughs) Alex Cooper has legit future billionaire, Alex Cooper. That chick is on like a freaking meteoric rise. Unlike, I mean, I was walking through um, Penn Station. She's got billboards there. And I'm like, holy shit, good for Alex what she's created, what she's done. Mind boggling, right?
1: I do think that she's put podcasting for women like in a different space where people understand like, oh, there's real money in this. And um, I think that she's a pioneer in a lot of ways. And she's like the first like, aesthetically like Socially accepted, really like hot chick that you'd see in like a music video, like talk about really gross, realistic sex stories. And I love that she's just showing how women are so much more complex than just being like the hot, stupid one or like the fr- like ugly friend who's kind of funny. Like this girl is encompassing so many personalities, so many things. And she's also one of the hardest workers I've ever met. Like, When I go on Call Her Daddy, I've done it a couple of times. We have like a meeting before, brainstorming. Her editing process is fucking insane to make sure it's as like hot and like tight and just like bop, 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 just constant good energy. So um, yeah, I just think that I'm lucky to be her friend and she's the kind of person I want to surround myself with in this industry of like badass women.
0: How much of a bump? Because so- I call last summer, not this summer, but last summer, the summer of Alex, because yeah. us middle-aged men got so encompassed in the Portnoy, Alex, yes. call her daddy drop yes. So this is how bad it got. Memor- I think it was Memorial Day weekend. I'm, I'm, I'm at my buddy's $2 million mansion in South Jersey. Us grown-ass men are sitting on the couch, on the big screen. We're putting Alex's YouTube video explainer. It. And we're sitting there, and I'm like, I actually put it on my Instagram, I'm like, this You're is what it notes. Comes I'm literally like, this is like riveting. I'm like, this is Oscar winning shit for us. And so it became the summer of Alex. And I became, I, I listened to maybe a few episodes of Call Her Daddy, but I became so riveted with how genius she is because I would always tell, I'd have friends who would be like, oh, any girl could do that. I'm like, you have no understanding. Her ability, like, to communicate the voice of a generation through herself and understand how to manipulate her experience experiences almost in a Seinfeldian-esque operatic tune. It's just, it's brilliant. So it really is. And only, again, producers and people who do this for a living can really understand how good she is at what she does. But so it became the summer of Alex. So when I saw, I, I was telling people, I'm like, you guys understand, she's going to have tours. She's going to have a bigger deal. This is the beginning. And then she signs a 60 plus million dollar deal. But for you, when you go on, call her daddy. And I didn't realize the true breadth of that audience because you go to the Hamptons, you go anywhere. You're literally like, call her daddy's booming from everywhere. How, what does that? What does that do for you? Like, do you get a bump in followers or people? Do people even know you now more for call her daddy than they may know you for anything else? Like, how does it all work to be part of that brand in any way?
1: Well, it's crazy because when that all was going down. I was, I called my friend Taylor Strucker, and I was like, we need to do a bonus episode on my podcast talking about this because everyone was like picking sides, either like Sophia or Alex or Sophia and Alex versus Dave. And I was picking sides and I, I went on, I kind of had an interesting take where I was like, "You, it's not sides. This is just the industry changing of talent versus the corporation and who's worth more in the power struggle. And we were getting into it. I get a DM like two weeks later from Alex Cooper herself. Now I did, we did not cross paths in any way. I didn't know anyone who knew her. I'm telling you, I was shook. I told my mom, I was like, you're not gonna believe it. Alex Cooper. My mom's like, who's Alex Cooper? I'm like, you should know this. But um, she basically was like, Hey, I love you on summer house. Listened to your episode about me. Love your take on the situation, looking for a new co-hosts to, guest co-host and I'd love to chat with you. And I was like, oh my God. And we are quite, we got on the phone and our chemistry was just stupid. Like it was insane. And before me, she had like her friend, her best friend who's on, who they have great like friendship chemistry from like forever. And then she would have like some models with a lot of followers, but I was first the first comedian to come on. And it was like magical. And people started calling me like the stepfather. And let's just say that she's been a huge part of, like, like my Instagram grew, my podcast grew, people see me live on tour saying we're Call Her Daddy fans, and I was on it for probably like three or four episodes, because we'd record for three hours, and sometimes she'd do two, she'd cut it down to one, just, like, the best parts, so, like, and she's still, like, we're still close, because she moved to LA, but we still talk all the time, and, um. She's really just supported me and she doesn't even understand like how big of a kind of support system she's been. Like, I'll tell her, I'll be like, Alex, like, it's because of you that I was, I got this jump or this. And she's like, shut up.
0: (laughs) No, listen, you guys are the new breed of celebrities, especially for young women. I cannot tell you, like, I I get everybody on this show. In the last few weeks, I've had everybody from Matthew McConaughey to Dana White to Ice Cube. I I
1: see. I'm like, oh my God, why is he interviewing me?
0: (laughs) No, no. I'll get more of a reaction to having you on the show. I swear to God, like I'll be at like the public hotel or Mr. Purple. They'll be like, Could you have on? If I drop Hannah Burner, they're just going to be like, girls will be like, oh my God, what's your number? This is the benefits of being a single guy. and do, This is my American Express card.
1: So but- helping you get pussy? <laughs>
0: sure. Where
1: it's so know? funny though, because my fiance. now he just has like a ton of really hot millennial girls who come up to him after his comedy shows who knew knew he's like I've never had more attention from single millennial girls before and I'm like you're welcome but too late (laughs) you're there
0: so I mean you're there you Alex it's this new breed of like I don't even it's not even celebrity anymore it's just you're the you're the you're the You are the fathers for this whole group. It's incredible. But
1: what's interesting to me is that Alex is actually creating her own version of reality TV because she has these vlogs that are really well done and funny and well edited. And then she's exposing her life on this podcast and then like you're hearing of the real drama going on press. So like she has her own reality TV show just through different mediums that she's in control of. It's genius and she's the main character and no one's fucking with her shit. And if they do, she changes the narrative to show what went on with her. Um, so it's actually like, it's like reality TV, but more real and more like
0: it's authentic. it's authentic. It's authentic and it
1: comes in like, it's not just 40 minutes once a week with a big network. So um, I think that she's she's changing the game for a celebrity but it takes real balls to put herself out there the way she does. Um, but because she's in control, she's able to do it in the most artful, entertaining, like beautiful, chaotic way.
0: You know, one thing I was thinking about, and this is something both of you have in common right now, you're obviously engaged and she has a serious boyfriend, but I always think about a big part of your humor, both of your humors was that single women could connect with you guys because you were single. You were essentially Mm -hmm. like living the hijinks, the real hijinks and being able to communicate to single women. Here's what it's really like. I feel you. I know your pain. But now that you're in a relationship, how does that change your ability to I guess, be funny. And how do you have to essentially change your authentic voice around that?
1: It's funny, great question. Because I'll have this reality TV following that are obsessed with like the drama they saw on this show that I was on for like 40 minutes a week. And then I'll tweet something funny about just like why men are shitheads or like some joke. And people will be like, did you break up with your fiance? Did he cheat on you? Did Hannah's, and I'm like, oh my God, it's just comedy. I'm just making an observation of like a joke about men. like." So it's like, it's so funny how the worlds don't mix very well sometimes. Um, Or I'll make a joke about like dating and people will be like, you're a fiance. And I'm like, I know I'm making an observation about dating. Like it's, I'm not the Hannah, I'm not that character anymore. Like I'm being myself. Um, Cause also a lot of comedians, people don't like Dave Chappelle you don't know about his wife and his family. Like he's just talking about the shit he thinks. So it's, I'm going through a transitional period where like people still wanna know about like some some scene and why it went down the way it did. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, it's been a year since then. So like I'm moving on, but you have to wait for people to like move on with you. So, but being being in a relationship now you realize I was really good at being the like reckless, single, talking about every dating experience, judging stuff, being whatever. And now that I'm in a safe relationship, I can't be like that reckless, chaotic energy with being single, but I'm finding it now in a relationship. But I also think my your comedy has to grow. It's like Amy Schumer. Now she has kids. She got famous. Like your comedy has to evolve and be authentic to who you are. So I'm currently in that transition. But Alex and I, we had an episode where she was like, we were fuck girls. And now we're both in serious relationships. What the fuck? And we talked about like how to fight well with your significant other. We talked about how how to how to like find the one, how did you know he was the one, all that stuff. So there's still interesting things, but Alex was scared too. She's like, I'm not, I don't have any new crazy single stories. And I'm like, yeah, but as long as you're being you, like people are going to love you for that. So also people are aging with us. Like I'm about to turn 30 and so are a lot of my followers. So it's like, we're going to do it together. Um, But I also still like to go back to just remind people like, Like being single or not being single, you still are having your own experiences about that isn't related to men that, like, at any time people will enjoy.
0: By the way, turning 30, I've got to know your thoughts. So let me just. So when I turned 30, I had a total midlife crisis. I was a super successful financial advisor, (gasps) went to Miami, got blasted, was like, I'm selling my company. Three days later, sold my practice, was like, I'm going into entertainment. This was 13 years ago. I had this whole like, I got to switch my whole life up. So 30 was a very powerful age for me. How are you feeling going into it?
1: Well, as we've kind of discussed, 30 has been a very transitional time with me. I mean, a year, yeah, I guess a year ago, like I had two gigs on Bravo. I was like seeing a guy. Um, now I'm engaged with no gigs on Bravo. <laughs> um, but I have a like new career in stand-up, and I think it gets to the point where you see like what society wants from you. And that to me was like, Oh, being famous or like being on TV and making money. And then being like, okay, what does Hannah really want to do long-term? And that's what I'm dealing with now.
0: The podcast world. Do you literally sit there and stalk your numbers? Are you like ultra obsessive about, no, No. just whatever happens, happens. I don't,
1: I don't know what's, I don't know what my numbers are. I, I know that I'll get spikes and stuff from certain things. I know even leaving somewhere house that definitely didn't help me because I had a lot of people that are just reality TV obsessed and want to see if I'm gonna give some tea or anything. Um, To me, it's like the stock market. Like if you check every day, you'll go crazy, but like check once a year and make sure you're growing. You know, that's my financial metaphor for you. (laughs) I I hope I got it right. That's what people-
0: I'm a decade and a half removed. People (laughs) be like, are you following the market? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, I gotta prepare for four guests today. Like, and my dad will be like, you know, the market's at all time highs. It's like you're such an moron for leaving. I'm like, thanks, dad. Thanks, but, dad.
1: I'm gonna work on that therapy.
0: Like <laughs> my, my dad, I had Hannah Berner on the show today. <laughs> Dude, you're awesome. Congrats on the house broken tour. Last question, by the way, nil. What do you think of this whole thing as a former D1 athlete?
1: So I think this is great. I think it's. It's funny because when I went to Wisconsin, I had a friend, his name was Mike Bruzewicz and he had a big red Afro and he was like hot, like he was hitting threes like crazy. And they started to sell red Afro wigs in the stadium and everyone was buying the wigs of his hair. And I was like, this is crazy that this kid is like, cause they're getting a little stipend, but like this is straight from him. Like this is him creating this and then like the coaches are getting paid millions and there's just such a big discrepancy and there's heartbreaking stories of you know guys who were put their whole life into sports and then like get injured junior year and they never go pro they never make any money and they've invested their whole life into sports so like this is incredible however as a tennis player it is different because we were not a revenue sport so like we weren't bringing revenue in um people didn't have to pay for tickets to tennis matches so like I'm as good in my sport as you know Mike Bruce with is in basketball but like I'll never get that kind of income that he has but like that's okay at least I just want people who have the opportunity to earn the money to earn the money and um these kids are making so much money for the school it's time to spread the wealth
0: by the way, is Mike Brusewitz not the most Wisconsin basketball player in <laughs> game? He's all? from
1: Minnesota. Yeah, it's it, he is a big corn fed boy, great three-pointer, huge, like six eight. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy because I I know these kids. Like a lot of these people will watch on TV, but like I was really good friends with a lot of these like star star players. James White on the Patriots is one of my my good friends at Wisconsin, and um, he would be on the cover of the Badger Herald every morning. And he had his little stipend doing his little homework, but I was like, you're the reason people are applying to Wisconsin next year. Um, So I think you're giving credit where credit is due.
0: And by the way, that's why Portnoy and Barstool are such geniuses right now. They're literally signing up every freaking athlete. They're building up their social media followings and they're allowing them to monetize it. I don't know what their business model is, but I'm guessing they're getting a percentage of whatever they're monetizing, like an agency. And I'm like, the most because everybody connects with barstool at that age level yes. and they're just like they're all putting barstool athlete on their instagram and i'm just like man these guys are geniuses over I there do think they- the,
1: the bigger discrepancy of like the conglomerate whether it's the school or the media company versus the talent causes tension so like the more you give credit to the talent i mean it's even like the scarlett johansson drama with disney if you ever heard that like Things are changing and it's okay to change as the world changes to give these. Cause also these kids are, have these huge social media followings now. So it's like, you can't restrict stuff anymore. And let's just give people credit where credit's due.
0: You would have made a killing even pre summer. <laughs> Cause you, no, I will, no, honest, honest compliment to you. There are so many people who are good on social media who suck as a personality. You are fucking electric like you oh there's God, a reason your you. podcast i need to talk is, to you
1: every week i'm canceling my therapist <laughs>
0: dude, Trust <laughs> me, i'll charge you influencer rates you're going to be getting like five thousand dollar an hour bills you'd be like this <laughs> fucking dude is expensive like des i fuck target man we we can't even do mcdonald's because i'm talking to arthur every week no, you're, you're, you're electric. Like you have such a great personality. Like there's no doubt in my mind, like as soon as I saw you leave Bravo, I was talking to somebody about you right after it got announced. And I'm like, she has no worries. Honestly, you're gonna look back and Bravo is an incredible launching ground. But for so many people, Bravo becomes the definition of who they are, which is why they end up sticking and fighting for their shows, whether you're a housewife or whatever. You're like, I'm a decade in, what else am I gonna do? I'm just a Bravo personality you're so creative and so quick and electric that there's no doubt in my mind, your path is either something like Chelsea Handler, or Whitney Cummings, like you're going to go through the rings, rungs of the ladder to get there. And there's, that no- means
1: the world to me coming from you. And yeah, Chelsea Handler, Whitney Cummings, those are all people that I look up to. Um, Chelsea Handler, her talk show was game changer for me and like made me want to do comedy. So and, I, and by the I way, walk it. away
0: from it. And everybody thought she was nuts for that. And then She's like, oh, by the way, there's an eight block long line for my next book. Oh, and by the way, I can sell at Madison Square Garden when I feel like it. So, mm-hmm. you're, there's no doubt in my mind. When, when as soon as I saw it, I was like, Hannah's not one of the ones who had to depend on Bravo. So you're gonna you're gonna fucking kill it.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm gonna say that into the mirror tomorrow morning when I need yeah. <laughs> by, by the
0: way, we're gonna keep this tape because in ten years, when you are Chelsea Handler, I'm gonna be like, guys. Her managers, 10%. Do not forget. This was all my due. I hyped her up. Nobody else. You're awesome, no. Hannah. You're welcome. <laughs> Honestly, you're welcome back anytime. Oh I think my you're God.
1: A- Thank you so much, Arthur. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to watch this one airs.
0: You're the bomb. <laughs> Congrats. House Broken Tour. Go see it. Where can they find the dates? Oh yeah, go
1: them? to hannahburner.com and you get all the dates. I'm all over the place. And the show, I'm. I always find great openers and then I'm doing like 50 minutes of material. And it's it's a lot about my life and it's a lot of giggles. I promise.
0: One last question. I forgot. I've asked all stand-up. I just had Eliza Schlesinger on. She had the best answer by the way, but um, when you bomb, how do you handle it and how do you know?
1: Going on the court with tennis is very clear, whether you win or lose, where stand-up, It's creative. It's all your perspective on things. So when things don't go well for me on stage, I always just see it as a learning opportunity. And I don't think that any audience owes me anything. And I just need to learn what I did wrong so I don't do it again. Um, So when I bomb, I'm just like, okay, maybe don't try to close with a new joke, you idiot. Noted, don't do that again. So I'm positive self-talk because you could tell yourself you're not funny. Um, but there's enough people on Twitter saying that you have to be there for you and be like, let's learn from that. You know, you're funny. You didn't trick That's the
0: athlete's mentality. Normal <laughs> people be like, I'm fucked. I'm going back to being an accountant.
1: What did Eliza say?
0: Eliza said, so she had a great story where she walked off her worst bombing. She walked off stage and she just was like, I pretty much curled up in a corner and started crying. And then Someone came up to her and they're like, what are you crying about? And she's just like, you know, this was awful. Am I really meant to do this? And they're like, your cab's waiting outside. Go catch it. It's time to get out of here. And she's just like, she's like, it was a moment of, I got to brush this off. Tomorrow's another day. And she essentially treated it like that moving forward, where she's like, onto the next, didn't connect. It is what it is.
1: Well, New York also, like I'll do three sets in a night. So I'll, I'll do an outdoor patio that like, like there's like a a garage next door and you just hear the garage and you're talking over it like just crazy shit that I'm not gonna take personally that the show didn't go well and then 10 minutes later I have a spot downstairs and I'm a kill so like one second I'm the worst comedian that ever lived the next second I think I'm the best so it's she's so right you're only really like as good as your last set if you let that affect you
0: you're the bomb dude good luck with everything <laughs> I can't wait to have you back again soon. And uh Housebroken Tour, go to HannahBurner.com. Thanks for jumping on, Hannah. You're the bomb. thank
1: you, Arthur. You're Later, the bomb. bye.
0: All right, folks. That was of course Hannah Burner. Make sure to check out the House Broken Tour. In all honesty, if you guys have a chance to see Hannah in real life, you I'm sure you saw this in the interview, but she is electric. It's not one of those people who lives off a script or has to have their notes in front of them she doesn't know what my questions are and she was just lobbing back hilariousness that tells you you have a brilliant comedic mind so if you have a chance go check out the house broken tour in a city near you she's awesome i love how i I just love hannah lucky guy des is a lucky guy des you're a lucky guy told you it was a great episode two great interviews and we're back on thursday with a triple header Make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, rate, show us the love. You know the drill. I mean, we're 95 episodes old. I feel like, do I even have to keep repeating this stuff? But I guess I should. On social media, Endless Hustle is on Twitter at Endless Double Underscore Hustle. On Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod. Me personally, I'm at Arthur Cade on Twitter. I almost fucked it up there. On Twitter, yeah, I'm at Arthur Cade. And on Instagram at It's Me Arthur Cade. We are back on Thursday with an awesome triple header. We've got Justin Long and his brother, Christian Long. You know, Justin Long, the Apple guy. He's been to a gajillion movies, awesome. And his brother, amazing together. Alex Pailu, phenomenal IndyCar driver. And then the voice of the UFC. It's time! Bruce Buffer's on the show. We'll see you all Thursday. Thanks, as always, for following, listening. We're heading to 100. We'll see you there. Have a great week, endless hustlers.